Good morning, a reading from uh, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard me cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Here I am in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. Somebody asked me years ago, Kevin, have you ever preached on finances? And I said, no. Have you ever did a, did a series on financing? I say, no. They said, why? Because I worry about finances all the time, so why would I teach it? I'm not to worry when that's my one, number one stress in my life. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times in things in your life that you need to learn how to deal with, how to surrender, how to trust God, and our finances are one of the hardest areas to trust God in. That's why someone used an analogy about baptism. When you get baptized and you surrender your whole life, what do you leave out when, it, when you're baptized? Your wallet. And so basically, we say, yeah, I surrender all, but do I really surrender my finances? So this will be an interesting series, the four or five week series, and I'll be honest in certain areas that I'm not trusting him in, or I need to trust him, but I feel good enough that I can actually teach this a lesson that I've learned. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity of getting in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have given us. And we just pray, Lord, that we will begin this new series in a way that we can learn and get the tools on how to change our way of thinking when it comes to our finances. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You know, um, if you're looking for something to do this afternoon or tomorrow, the Museum of Tolerance is exceptionally a fantastic museum. And in that museum, they have this section that you go into a door, there's two doors, and one of the doors says racist and non-racist. Prejudice. Prejudice. Okay, prejudice and non-prejudice. And so therefore, when you try to go into the door that says non-prejudice, you can't go in there. Because it's insinuating that all of us are prejudiced. And so when you go in that part of the, the museum, it talks about in the mid-60s on the Civil Rights Movement, and it shows Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. doing this incredible speech called, I Have a Dream. 
And I look at this and I go, that dream is, is about striving for something better. Striving for unity among all races, among children. And so you go, this is an incredible dream. Now, if you don't realize it, that was 57 years ago that he gave that speech. Now, you can judge whether we achieve the dream or closer to the dream. It's up to you. And it's interesting because he talks about, about the American dream. It doesn't kind of go with his dream of I have a dream. It's interesting how we, we were told the American dream. It's interesting to think about this. See, I live in America, so I must embrace the American dream. Whatever that American dream is. But I've noticed sometimes in our lives that the American dream becomes a trap. It becomes an American nightmare. And we, what happens is then we tend to say, why ha do I have discontent? Because I need to achieve this American dream. I need to embrace this so I can be happy, so I can be fulfilled, so I can be content. It's very fascinating to me when we go down here, uh, 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 excuse me, when we're looking at the American dream, I decided to Google American dream. Because let's have an understanding of what the American dream is. It says this, it's on the screen. The American dream is a belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success in a society where upward mobility and possible for everyone. The American dream is, to, is achieved through sacrifice, risk-taking, and hard work rather than by chance. So when Dr. King was talking about the American dream in his speech, he was basically talking about upward mo mobility. It, the, the access for upward mobility is not fair to all people. Because basically, some people, by the color of their skin, have a bigger opportunity in the pie than others. And so when we look at this, and we see Dr. King was absolutely correct. But I want to talk about the issue of the American dream, because sometimes it doesn't matter what race you are, no matter who you are, that this class becoming upward mobility is very interesting to me. See, on the screen, for most Americans, the American dream has to do with a desire for achieving success and satisfying the desire for material possessions. We tend to measure our success by the stuff we possess. So if I have this, and I have this, the more I have of it, the more successful I am. And so the more successful I am, it's important that the more stuff I have. In order to get stuff, this is what I'm learning here, I have to have money, right? To achieve this stuff. And so therefore, when, when we, the Marxist success is fascinating to me, because the Marxist success is, as, do I own a home? Am I a home no more? Do I have a nice car? Do I have the gadgets that are, that are important to have? Do I have the trendy name brand items? Do I have an expensive experience as like big vacations? Therefore, that will make me happy. And when we see someone on social media that checks in in Italy for four days, you go, dang, this is not fair. You can go to San Diego and stay at Motel 6 and check in at the Regis. You know that, right? They don't even know you're staying at Motel 6. And that person's not even in Italy. They're probably in Las Vegas in Italy. 
<laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And so they're projecting the success. And so therefore, we want to be happy. Here's what I've learned. Advertisers play this American desire for upward mobility by constantly enticing us to want things. This tends to fuel an almost consistent sense of discontentment with life, as it is. We can start to think, if I only had this or that, I would be happy. Have you ever been there? I just need this. We, I, I, you know that game of justification? I can justify anything. You can justify anything, right? I can do it. And so in, in order to be funny, M-O-N-E-Y is a money. Now Jesus talks about money. Remember, the Bible says more about money than any other subject ever. It's about money. And I'm preaching on it for the first time. This is what he talks about money. He says the love of money, not money, the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from their faith and have impelled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. Now, if you, if you follow me on this, this is interesting because we as Christians, most of us are pursuing are following the American dream more than we're pursuing and following Christ. And so this is fascinating to me because I have to go in my head, why am I pursuing this? Why am I chasing this? Because people tell me, this is what you need, this is how you have it, this is what it looks for you to be content and you to be happy. And Jesus said, Jesus goes, that's the root of all evil, the love of money. And so this is where I have to learn and continue to follow Christ, not to follow the American dream. Look on the screen. What started out as the American dream often becomes more of a nightmare of debt, late payments, bill collectors, re- repossessions, evictions, and bankruptcies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feel free to respond, okay? <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. I, I got. I, I was Brooke and I were working on getting all the information on statistics and stuff like this. And and here here it is. Here here's the statistics. Forty percent of America do not have four hundred dollars to cover themselves for emergencies. Call it emergency fund. Forty percent. Now, most of us experience emergencies in the year. Most of us say, well, we got a plumber to go, my car broke down, but we don't have the money, the $400 at least, to cover this. And so we put it on our credit. Adam Hamilton is a Methodist pastor, the author of a book that I'm using in the sermon series. Um, and it's interesting, I'm doing a commercial break here. Because in March, we're doing a series that's based on this series, a workshop on being free financially and how to do it. And it's a five-week series, and it follows. If you take Grace Track, then boom, you can go for it. So I encourage you, if you haven't taken Grace Track, take it. And then we have these other classes that follow Grace Track, and this is the, the new one that's coming up. The book is called Enough, Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity. And he uses two distinct but direct related, and he calls them illnesses 
when it comes to our life, when it comes to financing. It's interesting because it's sickness. And basically it's an illness not only socially, but it's an illness spiritually as well. The first one is a word that he uses called influenza. Now, I'm using a word. It's, if you know where it's from, it's from a PBS documentary in the 1990s. And they use this word. Let me give you a, a definition of it. Flindia says the bloated, sluggish, unfulfilled feeling that results from the effort to keep up with the Joneses. An academic of stress, overwork, waste of indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. An unsustainable addiction to the economic growth. Now follow me here. If you own a house that was built before 19, uh, 2016, the average house in the 1972 was 1,660 square feet. The houses that are being, being, being built now, the average square feet, 2,700 square feet. Because somehow the American dream is not just a house, but a big house. Now get this, storage units, 2.3 billion square feet in America for storage units. That storage unit across here and the apartments across there, per square feet to rent the storage shed, storage unit, it's much more expensive per square foot. Really interesting. So that stuff you think you need that you're storing and paying hundreds of dollars for because your identity of your success is in that, watch it. Be careful. You know, you got you to do this. And so here it is, the holiday season, which if you remember last year in the holiday season, the big news was complaining, we have a week less between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we better spend more in that week for Black Friday. So you got people, you ever watch Google Black Friday in Walmart? It's funny. <laughs> it's just crazy people fighting for things. And then you got Cyber Monday, you got all kinds of different days for us to spend money. And one of the greatest gifts that we need to be celebrating between Christmas and Thanksgiving is, uh, on this Christmas and Thanksgiving, is family. It's Christ, the birth of Christ, the biggest gift to humanity. But yet, we're getting deeper and deeper in debt. Have you ever gone to somebody's birthday? Let's say we're going to um, my wife's birthday. And I go, don't bother buying her a gift. Just buy everyone else gifts and everyone else. And we would spend an average of $800 on gifts for each other. And don't give Jennifer a gift at all. That's what it's like with Christ. It's his birthday. We're celebrating his birth. But yet we're buying thousands of dollars of gifts for one another. But yet we forget to celebrate the whole true meaning of Christmas. The next one, the illness he talks about is credits. What is credits? Credit. Credit. You know, first of all, <laughs> feel free if you just have a thought. Don't process it. Just throw it out there. <laughs> okay? I'm okay with it. But if I said it wrong, it's a word that's in this book. Who, who pronounced it first? You did. Uh, I know, but I did it wrong, apparently. That's okay. It's okay with me. That's like it. How do you say it? Credit-itis. Credit-itis. 
You know, the thing is, when low expectations, hey, you can do anything, credit hey, did a good job. Well, credititis is an addiction to the more costly way of buying now and paying later. Now, let me give an example. When I was a kid, we had Kmart. We didn't have big malls in, that, in Oregon. And they had what's called layaway. Do you remember layaway? Yeah. That basically, I got a $40 gift, and I want to buy it. I'll put on lay away. They lay it away for me. And I put 10% down, which is what, four bucks? And then I pay monthly installments. And then when I pay it 100%, I get my toy. <laughs> they ain't making money off you that way. So instead, they switch it. Instead of uh, save it and then get the money and, and take the stuff, it's, you can get it now and pay for it later. It's called credit. It's called credit card. And so this is interesting to me because this is how it works. When you go to Target, and this is where you feel like a total idiot. When you, when you go, yes, purchase, purchase. Hey, would you like to save 20% off this purchase? And you go, no. I don't want to save 20%. No, I don't want to apply for a credit card right now or in front of nine people in line and save 10% off this Coke and a hot dog. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. But this is how they do it. And it's really fascinating because a big Best Buy, which I have a credit card, they go, look, if you do a $300 purchase, six months credit, no interest. If you do a 2000 one year. If you do a 3000 24 months. Do you see how they encourage it? Mm -hmm. And instead of looking at the total amount, you look at the payments. Big mm -hmm. TV. It's interesting how you say, I saved. How do you save when you had no intention of buying in the first place? <laughs> Does that make sense? Look, I saved $1,000. No, you just spent two. Yeah. You didn't save. This is how you save. I want that. I don't need it. You go out. There, you save three grand. Yeah. Right? That's how it works. Okay? And, and so this is where we can get caught up when it comes to credit card debt and all this stuff. The banks are not stupid. Let me give you some statistics we got from the book and, and, and um, from other resources. The total American credit card debt is $13.86 trillion. That's the deficit, almost. Americans are carrying $110 billion in credit card interest and fees. 55% of Americans don't pay the credit card bills in full each month. An average credit card debt in America in 1990 was around three grand. Now it's nearly $17,000 with credit card debt. The average sale is around 125% higher than if we use uh, higher if we use a credit card than if we pay cash. So it's interesting how you get 20% off on something you go bam credit you're paying payments you're paying more than what you saved. I'm telling you, it just works. So the creditees, however you say it, does not just apply to credit cards but it also applies to loans for cars. When I first got my first car back in the 1980s, the average car loan was three years, 36 months. Then it went to 48 months. Then it went into 60 months, five years. Now it's 72 months. If you want to 
if you want to um, get a motorhome loan, 144 months, that is 15 years. I could be celebrating that I just paid off a 2005 Winnebago just yesterday. <laughs> okay, well, yes, I just paid triple for it, but yes, I paid it off. And so this is where the illnesses and deeper spirituality comes in. He says this in the book. Our souls were created in the image of God, but they have been distorted. We were meant to desire God, but we have turned the desire towards possessions. We were meant to find our security in God, but we find it in amazing wealth. We were meant to love people, but instead we compete with them. We were meant to enjoy the simple pleasures of life, but we get busy ourselves with pursuing money and things. We were meant to be generous and to share with those in need, but we selfishly hoard our resources for ourselves. All of us have an inclination toward sin. So follow me on the story of, uh, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit. Back on the screen. God and God's grace is all we need. But Satan lures us into believing that we need to reach out and grab something on our own in order to be satisfied. See, let me tell you something about the devil. Because I've been fighting that clown for years. (laughs) The devil does not tempt me to have an affair. The devil does not tempt me... uh, to on drug addictions. It does not tempt me to do to get in debt. What the devil tempts you to do is this to be discontent. That's it. I'm going to tempt you. You know what? Your life could be better. And so when it comes to discontentment, then all of a sudden we go, okay, I I, I need to pursue something. And so therefore that's how the temptation works. And so therefore, you look at advertising. They will sell you a problem. No, they will present a problem and sell you a solution. And so you look at this and go, oh, I need that to be content. So I need to pursue that. I'm discontent. And so therefore, we look at this and the devil goes, look at them on social media. Don't they look happy? Look what they're doing. And therefore, we want to do it. We want to go for it. And so discontent is really um, an expensive emotionally and financially and spiritually uh, emotion to have. And you know what? It's not working, this American dream stuff. Because if you look at our life expectancy in the United States in the last two years, it went down. You know why? Drug addiction and suicide. So if we have the American dream and all this, then why is American suicide the highest in our country than any other country? Why is the epidemic of drugs, the opium and stuff like that, why is that so powerful in America? I think because we are more unhappier than ever now. Now you may say, okay, good night, Kevin. You're just turning me apart with this incredible good news now. But here's the good news. The Bible says in John 10, the thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you could have a life, indeed, so that you could have life to the fullest. 
See, on the screen it says, if your life has been robbed by the devil in the form of financial brokenness, the good news is that Jesus has come not only to restore your life, but to give you an even fuller life than you ever thought possible. Now, I know a lot of preachers, when they do these financial uh, sermon series, they do it one way, and they all do it the same way, and I'm going to do it a completely different way. This is what I've listen to other pastors, which is, there's no wrong or right. The eight steps to financial freedom, the six steps to get going, the eight steps to this, nine steps, it's all steps. There needs to be something that needs to change prior to that. And that's a condition of one's heart. Because we could do the nine steps of how to get out of financial debt, you're getting dead again. It's like losing weight, you'll gain it again. If there's not a, a mind change. Paul says how we renew our lives is by the renewing of our mind. Yes. The way we process things. The way we think. Does it take longer? Yes, it takes longer. But the effects are long-lasting. See, on the screen, the gospel, or God's good news, always has to do with what God does for us. And we can't do it for ourselves. That's called grace. All we can do in our part is respond in faith based on what God has already done for us. Now this is why Jesus announces good news. He says, now it's time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your heart and life and trust, he says, this good news. What we really need to do is trust God for the fulfillment of our lives. Not stuff. And when I learned to trust God and, and my, my, the fullness of my life, then I don't necessarily need this to be fulfilled. I'm already fulfilled with what I have now. I can still spend it. I can still do it. But it's not a need. And so therefore, again, we look at Scripture and I'm not going to preach at you to tell you what you have to do, but I want us to look at the Old Testament and New Testament. Because Paul and David understood this grace. They understood God deeply. And the thing is, in Psalms, if you look in the Old Testament, David said this about contentment. I waited patiently for the Lord. Gratification and instant gratification gets us in trouble. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. What he's saying, look, I waited. He is building the solid foundation that no one has seen yet. Yes. But man, when I stand on it, yes. this is who I am now. Amen. And that takes a while to be built. But we go, I want it, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. And then we get it and we go, why isn't it working? You got to build a foundation, dude. You got to build a foundation. Look, uh, this is where a deep financial pit we get ourselves when we don't have reliance on God. The two things about how David responded to God's grace is first, David knew that God was the source of his help. Second, he was willing to work on God's timetable, not to force his own. Now, often the reason it takes us a while to, to fix our messes is that, that God wants to fix our mess first and then help us achieve the fulfillment. 
You can't be fulfilled when you're living a mess. You can't do it. You got, you know, when I went to counseling, and I went to five years of counseling, and you should have seen me before the five years, <laughs> is that he kept using the analogy, you gotta stop in order to start. Don't start something until you stop something. Makes sense to me. Because I can't do both. I've gotta stop it, and I gotta start on new things. And so we need God to change our hearts. We need God to change our attitudes about money. So back on the screen, David and Paul chooses to focus on what God had already given them rather than what they lacked. A focus on good news of God leads to gratitude. Gratitude kills the discontentment that leads to materialism. First, notice how David was focusing on God, what God has done. This is what we, here's our problem. We just focus on what we don't have. We never focus on what we have. Amen. So I, I have a tremor. They're moving. I'm not paralyzed. Okay? They're moving. And so, therefore, we have to have an attitude of gratitude of what we have. And this is where Dave said, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards me. None can compare with you. Where I... I too, were I to proclaim and tell, tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Out, but you can see it on the screen. Here's what the New Testament, this is Paul. Paul's good. I love Paul. He says, I give thanks to my God always. There's a whole mind shift right there, guys. I give, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge and every kind, just in testimony of Christ, has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you're waiting, you'll be waiting, but still, thank him. Thanking God for the enriching grace of God. This is where it's important, because we're going to, in the series, we're going to talk about the three G's. And I'm not talking about 3G versus 4G and all that stuff. The first G is grace. And I'm not going to go in the second, third yet. He's giving you the simple gift that you never earned, and that's grace. The grace of God. God, on the screen, is more than enough. When we understand that, we begin to be grateful. Our hearts become content. We begin to know that money and materialism does not bring ultimate happiness. We are then free to live our lives more lightly and simply. You know, there's an American religion that I thought I would be good at. It's called the Shakers. And the thing is, the reason I call it the Shakers, they call, I don't know why they call it the Shakers, but if you have a tremor, it's the perfect thing for you to be called the Shakers, you know? I'm the lead shaker. I like that joke. I don't care if anyone... I like it. I tell jokes to crack myself up. Who cares if you guys don't think it's funny? But it's true. The shakers. But the thing is about the shakers, I like about them, is they believe that life should be simple. Simplicity. It's very attractive. Then not to complicate their life. And so therefore, they wrote their own songs. And they have a very popular song that they wrote in 1840. It's basically called The Simple Gift. And so I'm going to ask if we can sing that song. Uh, if, if, if you can sing it, I'm sorry. But I'm not going to sing it. 
But I want to encourage you in the next five weeks to begin to be open about surrendering your financial stress. About getting a whole paradigm shift of thinking. Because you can say, hey, I'll be fine when I'm debt free. No, you need to be fine now. Yes. Because a change of the heart needs to be to start to work. Then you will watch the wisdom on how to get out financial debt. Amen. Later on during the series, I'll tell you, Jennifer and I, because of me, 2008, $320,000 underwater. Underwater. I had an anxiety attack. That's gone now. Because the heart changed first. Then the steps came second. The foundation had to be built first of understanding what money was. And so this is going to be a powerful series because it took me 37 years to prepare for this series. So let's listen to this song and I just want you to surrender. Surrender, begin to be open to surrendering. Mm -hmm. 